So welcome to another session of the Commerce Talks podcast. Today I welcome Aporf from the Jumia Group, which is a very interesting uh, case to us because the former speaker here um, was uh, one of the initial founders or one of the management directors from Iconic in Australia. So another like rocket internet uh, business we are talking uh, today. Can you give us a bit uh, background about the Jumia Group today, where it stands and what kind of business they are involved in? Sure. Thanks, Alex, for having me here. Uh, Jumia is uh, Africa's leading internet ecosystem. We are three businesses. We are an e-commerce marketplace. We are logistics and we are payments. Today, we operate in 11 countries in Africa, all the big countries in Africa, that is. Okay. Uh, been around for 10 years now. We started in 2012 in Nigeria. Okay. Uh, we are Africa's biggest e-commerce, Africa's biggest food delivery business. And uh, in most of the countries where we operate, we are also Africa's biggest B2C logistics. So that's uh, roughly, uh, you know, a little bit about the business and the context. Uh, the journey, uh, 2019, we went public with NYSE. That was one of the milestones for us. Before that, as you uh, said, you know, we, we were one of the early Rocket investors. So Rocket was one of our seed founders. Uh, somewhere in 2016, we, we got more investors, MTN, uh, AXA, Orange, and the likes of those. And then uh, in 2019, we went public, okay? So, so that's pretty much a very, very high-level background. If I remember correctly, back like in 2012-11, there was like this big um, uh, Nala, the former speaker, said heydays of e-commerce. So uh, Rocket and many other companies worldwide, incubators, invested heavily in e-commerce. Um, with the understanding that uh, uh, the e-commerce market share will grow eventually. Um, and they looked at the um, African markets and said that there's no Amazon yet available. So who's going to be the next Amazon? Uh, it can be Jumia. So, um, and obviously it was a very European view. They didn't view Africa as like many, many different countries. It's just like one big country that's uh, usually misunderstanding when it comes to uh, go-to-market uh, uh, plans. So um, if, you, if you look back, so how did the expansion uh, work out for Jumia? Are there particular stronger markets right now in Africa? We would say you have a very high coverage. And uh, or what are the core markets for Jumia? Yeah, look, <laughs> it's a very interesting one. Uh, the reality is Africa is not at all similar, okay? And, and no one knows it more than me. I was, uh, I was the managing director in Nigeria. Then I went to Egypt to be the managing director there. And it was a culture shock for me and the people in Egypt both, <laughs> okay? And everything what I had learned in uh, building the business in Nigeria, I had to forget and I had to, you know, uh, build it completely differently in Egypt because the people, the language, the culture, the shopping habits, the consumer experience, the incentive mechanisms, the whole fiber which you build the business is completely different. And, and that was quite an interesting journey for us, right? Uh, big markets, uh, Egypt's very big. Nigeria, Ivory Coast, Morocco, Kenya are our five biggest markets. And then uh, Uganda, Ghana, Tunisia, Algeria, uh, these Senegal, these are our upcoming markets, okay? Uh, I think that's, that's the way we kind of spread uh, the business today. But can you explain a bit, when you started in uh, Nigeria, uh, building out e-commerce, e what was the e-commerce situation when you started? Why, ah. Were there any uh, e-commerce providers available? Were people, were people already um, uh, educated when it comes to like an online orders, payments and delivery stuff? No, but let me tell you a few stories. Okay, These are interesting ones. The first anecdote I tell people is when I went to Nigeria in 2012, there were eight malls in Lagos. There are six now. 
So offline retail didn't really take off in the country, you know. The biggest uh, offline retail, the shop rights in this bar had to be shut down, literally, okay. So uh, Nigeria is a very interesting piece because online retail sort of uh, started together with brick and mortar retail in the country. And because of the telecom presence of MTN and stuff like that, you know, uh, the, the growth of online retail was much faster than offline retail. Given the fact that it's very expensive to um, maintain offline retail, I mean, I don't know if people might not know, but the cost of electricity in Nigeria is crazy, okay? And the cost of uh, maintaining real estate is crazy, right? So it made a lot of sense uh, for the business to be offline there. So that's my anecdote. Uh, E-commerce adoption. When, I, when I, I remember my third day in Nigeria, I went to go on delivery run. So to deliver the order to the customer. I went on, on a street uh, in Abule Egba. I was looking for house number 14. I was standing at house number 13. House number 14 didn't exist in three roads. Okay, And only way I could get to that address was I had to pay someone, some local, we call them area boys. They're the local goons. Local guys, you know, it's it's their territory, like the local boys, and you have to pay them some money and they will tell you where the address is, okay? So the, the, the challenges were incredible, okay? I, I, I remember we were talking about the rocket conversation, how I ended up at Jumia. I was working in Indian e-commerce scene. I was kind of happy, you know, I was one of the early guys in Indian e-commerce. Fast, everything's easy. So I met Oliver Samver and Oliver said to me, what do you want to do? And I said, look, I want to do something which will completely challenge my skin. And he said, very well, go to Nigeria, build e-commerce business. And on the fifth or sixth day, I was crying and I wanted to come back. I was like, hey, where have I come? No one knows internet here. No one knows e-commerce here. I, uh, you know, we call gross to net, the success rate of delivery. I, uh, one of our uh, logistics partner, I forget the name now, it was something with trans something. The success rate was 25%. I will give them 100 packages and they will deliver 25 and they will come back happy. And, and they were like, hey, we did a good job. <laughs> Are you kidding me? 25 success rate. So it was extremely challenging. Nobody wanted to do prepayment. Uh, nobody wanted to handle cash. I remember sitting in conversations with DHL and people telling me, Are you kidding? You want us to handle cash in, in Nigeria? So, so starting from there, we had to build everything. Okay, I build uh, what is today Africa's biggest cash collection system. On a good day, we collect like four or five million dollar cash, cash in the Naira notes. Okay, so 100 Naira is like 20 dollar cents. So we basically collect, I'm not kidding you, 100 million notes. You cannot even physically imagine how does that look. I mean, you can probably fill this hall with it, okay? And we collect them, we reconcile them to the last penny, okay? So we had to build the cash collection system. I invest a lot in security. My physical security is actually the costliest piece of supply chain. I mean, I have guards, I have uh, these armed guards with gun. If you go to the warehouse, you'll see a guy with a stain gun and stuff like that. We had to deal with terrorist threats in Port Harcourt. I myself went to like a hub where terrorists were trying to shut it down. So it's, it, when I look back at it, it's crazy. That, that sounds really like Wild West. But today, if you, if you were order a product in, in Lagos, what is the success rate today? Oh, 94. Okay, that's, that's nice. 94. And, and the journey has been great and it's very satisfying. And you're saying just to, to me to get, it, to get it right. So when you started, there were 11 malls in Lagos. Eight and, and now six. Yeah, and now six. So um, those e-commerce e is killing brick and mortar business in Lagos. Is this correct? Would you say that? No, it's not killing brick and mortar business. 
I think e-commerce has grown way faster. And the cost, it's not the e-commerce. Huh? I mean, I would love to have more brick and mortar business, to be honest. The cost of operating in countries like Nigeria, to give you a sense, guys, I mean, you know, uh, the cost of fuel in Nigeria for one liter uh, diesel, we uh, it's 6x the fuel in UAE, okay? And uh, not even 6x, 18x actually. Uh, there is no electricity. You have to run your business on generators, okay? The, the basic cost of infrastructure is very, very high. To maintain a mall, to maintain the security, to maintain the electricity, those kind of stuff is very, very expensive. And... Uh, it's it's difficult to manage it, but for like people from outside, is it then like just to get a better understanding? When we're talking about e-commerce in Nigeria today, is it mainly e-commerce in Lagos, or can you oh. really in a remote village in Nigeria in remote, order yeah. something online on on Jumia? Yeah, yeah, good question. Ten years ago, Lagos was ninety percent of business. Today, it's thirty-five. Okay, uh, there was always demand. I mean, uh, uh, there is a city called Kano. It's one of the biggest cities um, in, in the region. It's a city with uh, 20 million people. There was always demand, but there was no supply. There was no supply chain. There was uh, very little internet access. So what we've done is we've also helped uh, democratize retail a bit. We've developed solutions, and, and that's why the distributions become more uniform. In fact, across Africa, that's a trend. Now, 30% of our business today in Africa happens in what we call as remote uh, cities. But, but then, um, how many e-commerce warehouses today I would find in Nigeria? Mm, maybe 25. Okay. okay that's, so, uh, it's, it's good growth. Huh? It's not, not small. And then you said you moved to Egypt and everything changed. So <laughs> everything. What, 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 what was the main difference? Oh, it's, it's amazing, right? When, when people in the world think of Africa, they think of Africa as one country. It's not at all. The way I talk... The way I pass the same instruction, the way, I mean, I'll give you a very simple example, okay? In Nigeria, I tell someone, hey, can you move that stool there? He will say yes, and the person will move forward. And he say, hey, what happened? I asked you to move the stool now. He said, you mean now, now? I said, yes, now, now, okay? So, so the way people talk, the way people communicate, the sense of urgency, the sense of communication, right? It's completely different language, different maintenance management. Uh, in Egypt, uh, shopping is a completely different ball game. It, it's driven by experience. It's driven by social commerce. Uh, if you go to Egypt, there are people who will go to a mall and sit nine hours, eight hours, watch a football match, have shisha. I mean, those kind of things don't happen in the other parts of the world. Completely different geography, completely different consumer habits. Even, even, the, even the products which we sell are different. The language we communicate are different. The pricing strategies is different. So while... It's one technology, one platform. So many things are different. What is the e-commerce market share today in Egypt uh, um, as, a, as a share of overall retail? Yeah, it's, it's uh, depending on the campaign. So, for example, in, in some of the strong shopping e-commerce campaigns, it can go high as high as 3.5%, 4%. But I would say last year, it's, it's been around 2.5%, okay? Uh, but... The interesting thing and what we really like is the adoption, okay? It's not about the market share. The most interesting number which I keep throwing to people is 40% internet peers, uh, users in Egypt have shopped on e-commerce. That's incredible. So even though the market share is very high, okay, the percentage acquisition, the people using are very high. Now the adoption has, has to increase in terms of 
shopping more in terms of shopping higher value segments for example groceries okay i mean not many people still shop groceries on e-commerce in egypt but that's something what we have to change and once we do that i mean this two and a half percent can become eight ten very quickly because the 40 percent people already know e-commerce so it's not yeah. a question of adoption and and i understood that um, jumia was a pioneer in many african markets especially in Algeria, uh, nigeria and egypt as an as an example today i guess there's a bit more competition of course so if, if you um, if you were looking on the market like from a competitive market uh, uh, landscape it's not like when people want to go online there's only jumia but like there's different businesses do you have the same competitive situation like in the European or Western countries where you have to outbid via Google ads or via Facebook ads or other um, auction-based advertising systems? Yeah, I think, look, uh, it is going to become slowly, slowly like that. I think we are in the transition and there's an inflection curve at most of the places. We have uh, first mover advantage in most of our countries. Uh, for example, in Egypt, we are among the top five, six visited websites overall, right? I mean, now... Uh, the other uh, newer entrant into the market, they will take some time to get there. Okay, it's not that the, that they will not get it. Okay, it's it's there. It's 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 a it's not rocket science. It's really like you said, you pay and you get it, right? It's money. It's the cash burn. So people will burn the money and they will get it there. Okay, for some of the some of the things we actually not really so much on the Google Ads and stuff because we have a very strong captive uh, audience on our website. But for example, uh, you know, we, we have to sometimes price lower than competition on products. Okay, for example, if, if there is a launch of, uh, let's say, a Samsung phone on, in Egypt on noon on Amazon on Jumia, we would be very strongly trying to make sure that our price point is lowest. Okay, so, so the competition exists in some categories. It's more, I mean, we launched Jumia food in Egypt uh, twice. But Talabat's big there and, and we have to accept and we have to learn from Talabat, right? So, so yeah, I mean, depending on the category, depending on the segment, depending on the country, the differences of competition, but we do have a very strong first mover advantage. Yeah. I learned with uh, some of the former guests here that um, in, 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 uh, in uh, the Middle East region, some of the logistics services available are even better than in Western countries. Like same the delivery is like standard, same hour. What is the standard in, in Egypt? If I order online today, let's say you're, uh, you're living in Cairo or in a, in a more like one of the bigger cities. So what is the service level um, or can you guide me through the customer experience here? Of course. Look, uh, depending on the platform, Okay, so for example, if you if you order on our on-demand platform very specifically, if you order groceries in most of the parts of the Cairo, you are expected to get it in 20 minutes. My promise to the customer is 18 minutes. And today we are meeting at around 87, 88%. So almost there and we should get to 95, okay? But this is fast moving, okay? If you order like a, like a phone, uh, which will come from our central warehouse and our e-commerce platform in, in Cairo, most likely you will get it same day evening or tomorrow early morning, depending on the time you order, if you order before 2 p.m. or whatever after that, okay? If you order something from cross-border from China, you will, get, uh, you will get it in two weeks, okay? I think, especially because I spend a lot of time on e-commerce in India, I think it's now in terms of service levels, especially of delivery and experience, Egypt is right up there. Okay, Egypt is right up there. In fact, Egypt is a cut above rest of Africa. Egypt, Morocco, Tunisia, those those countries are like Dubai now. Okay, but let us say in Senegal, uh, where we operate, uh, probably you will get your groceries. Like I know, for example, in Algeria, my average time right now is 35 minutes, which in Egypt is 18 minutes. 
right? So, so it's it's for groceries. For groceries, right? I mean, for the fast moving what you today call as Q commerce, right, in European world, right? So, so the other countries are still behind, but certain countries in Africa, the Morocco, the Tunisia, the Egypt, Kenya, I mean, for that matter, right up there now. And what is the level of um, verticalization of your platform? If we are looking on more established platforms in Europe, Bo.com, uh, um, um, Allegro in Poland, Amazon, they try to do it all. They try to do the, uh, the warehousing, they try to do the, the, the last mile logistic, they even are involved in the financing part uh, on the debitor side and on the consumer side. How vertically integrated is Jumia today? Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> look, uh, we have shifted our strategy a bit, okay, earlier. The reality is we had to do all because there was no other way. It was not really by choice. It was really the way to grow, right? Uh, over a period of time, our strategy has been to be a marketplace. Okay, marketplace being a platform. So today, I'll, I'll take very specific examples. Okay, today on the logistics platform, I have close to 600 partners who do our logistics. They use our SOPs. They use our technology. So it's almost like it's Jumia's own team doing it. But at the back, I have 600 partners who are managed by it, okay? Similarly, we, we have a lending platform on both sides, consumer as well as, so we do BNPL, buy now, pay later. And we also do seller financing, okay? But again, we are the platform. We have, uh, we have, the, ba we have the banks on the side of it, we are which are extending this service. The value what Jumia adds in this part of the world, and which is very, very critical, is the data, okay? Uh, for a bank to offer you a lending, the bank needs to know you. We know you better because you've been shopping on us for 10 years or you've been our partner for six years. So that is, uh, that is the criteria which we are able to filter. And as a result, we are able to bring those banks and those lending solutions and those partners on our platform. Okay, so um, now you have some choice uh, already. Um, and one of the big platform um, strategies we've, we've observing uh, in the world is that platforms try to get rid of the inventory risk. They don't want to own the products they're selling via the platform. I guess when you started in Nigeria or Egypt, as there was no other choice, you had to buy everything in your own warehouses. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I guess you're also moving into this kind of marketplace platform game so other merchants can offer via the Jumia platform. Um, can you, can you um, share a bit where it stands today and what your strategy is with yeah. the platform? Yeah. Look, uh, it's funny that you said it. I remember my second or third day, I had a ship from uh, somewhere in France at the port of Nigeria with a lot of clothes, which honestly, I didn't know why were there, who ordered them, how did it come? What do I do with them? I'm crazy, man. It's not easy to do like retail imports, right? Look, today uh, we, we, uh, we are 100% marketplace, but off the last two years, especially with the category shift towards FMCG, we do what I call as tactical retail. Okay, so we don't buy and sit on them and sell, okay? We do tactical retail to make sure we have the stock in the market. A classic example would be if, uh, let's take an example of a rice bag of 5 kg, okay, with, uh, let's say, a big rice brand in Kenya. We would be very happy to buy, uh, you know, 50,000 bags, which we know we will sell in one week, okay? The reason we are doing it is because a lot of these FMCGs today, they, their systems are designed to work on retail. The systems are not designed to work in marketplace, so so we are helping that happen. Okay, 
Second is uh, we want to maintain the price advantage, okay? In marketplace versus retail, the price is very controlled by you. And we want to make sure, like I was telling you, rice bag is a commodity, everyone will have it. If I have a deep stock of 50,000, I can sell more and I want to acquire customers more. And, and FMCG is a very good customer acquisition category. So we do tactical retails. We do tactical retails for electronics. Uh, Samsung or Apple is launching a new phone. The only way to get it is buying it, we'll buy it, okay? But but it's it's very short term focused tactical. It's not really a business strategy. Okay, let's talk the let's talk again about the market share. So I understand, like in Egypt, you said <clears throat> we are between two and three percent e-commerce market share. Most of the consumers <clears throat> must have like a mobile phone, a smartphone, uh, yeah. and, and and they know how how e-commerce works. And you said there's like uh, you, you you would see the same competitive advantages in e-commerce like in every other market. Like it's about the price, selection, availability. What is holding this kind of market share back? Why isn't it like skyrocketing like to 10%, 15%? So yeah. what, what is holding consumers back now? Of course, it's a, it's a very good question. Okay, uh, three points on this, okay? And, and, and we'll have to go through the journey a little bit, okay? And I, I will also bring some, some old experience from India here, okay? Uh, in every category, in every retail growth, there comes an inflection point, okay? For example, when I was working in India, that inflection point came around 2015, okay? When suddenly, I remember the Flipkart grew by 3x in the same year, okay? I think in most of our countries in Africa now, we are reaching that inflection point, okay? This inflection point is enabled and empowered by support in other things, okay? The primary enablers of e-commerce is infrastructure and payments, okay? So if you look at payments infrastructure, it has evolved a little bit slowly in Africa versus the other uh, countries, okay? I mean, and, and, and that's one of the reasons which has sort of been holding it a little bit back, okay? Uh, the size of the business when we started was so small. I mean, you know, we've been growing 50, 50, 55% year on year, okay? But, but the reality is we, we are coming from very, very behind as a market, okay? So the consumer, the way, the way e-commerce really grows, okay? First, you have to acquire the customer. You need to make sure that you remove the entry barriers and you get the consumer to shop the first time and then you get the consumer to you know, shop again, right? Initial testing of, uh, of consumer by e-commerce is on a low AIV, typically item. First time orders, like if you're buying a $1,000 item, most likely you wouldn't do a first time e-commerce. You might do if this is a strong influencer or a value thing, but probably not, okay? So we've crossed that threshold and that is what I was trying to say. 40% of people have tried e-commerce shopping, okay? Now what we need to do is we really need to build the habit, okay? So for example, let's let's take a very simple example of, of someone, you know, someone normal human being. You shop the e-commerce, you bought some clothes or something, but a uh, big part of your consumer shopping is groceries, it's electricity bill, it's, uh, you know, your daily use stuff and all. Those today you go to a supermarket and buy, right? And, and that's what we're trying to shift, okay? So it's going to skyrocket. I think we're reaching inflection points in Egypt, we're reaching inflection points in Kenya, and we're going to see 6x, 7x growth in the next two years. Okay, l let me stay for a minute on this topic. L let, let's focus on like one specific category, which is 80% uh, uh, e-commerce here in other markets, uh, which is uh, in many cases consumer electronics. Yeah. And consumer e electronics, especially small, par small parts like HDMI cables, um, smartphone covers. So the where is like an, uh, a customer in Cairo today is buying a, a smartphone cover on HDMI cable because like in Western 
uh, in Western uh, countries, and they might know media market or they might they might know still Best Buy, but the market share uh, for brick and mortar for this category is like below twenty percent. Of course, and, and this is still different than in Egypt. It, it is. It is. They are buying it on Jumia or Sukur Noon. I think the the way you have to interpret the number is I was talking really in terms of value. Okay, so. I mean, you can buy the the average ticket size of a cable is half a dollar, okay? So I mean, you can buy ten half a dollar cables; it's still five dollars, right? And if you've bought stuff for ninety-five dollars, including like a shoe or like a phone, I mean, you know, you're still five percent of the share. So, like, this is what I'm saying: the low AIV penetration is already there, super strong, okay? Things like electronics, small electronics cables, people are buying on e-commerce. When you're looking forward, and I know it's your uh, Juma is now listed company, so it's a bit hard to do, do uh, forward-looking statements. But what are the next three big things you're really looking forward that's going to happen, like for you, for the market, and, and maybe even if, uh, for particular markets here in the region? Yeah, of course. Look, uh, for us, um, I think there are three or four very important milestones for us to do. We recently, uh, in the last two years, we've been working very strongly on our payment platform. We call it Jumia Pay. We just got a couple of licenses in two big countries to actually enter into merchant banking. We think it's huge, big potential, and, and that's very, very important for us. So that's number one milestone for Jumia. We've been talking a lot about it in public places also. Second, uh, over the period of last 10 years in Africa, we have built very strong logistics coverage, okay? No one does uh, B2C deliveries better than us in Africa. We today have more number of drivers on our payroll combined DHL, FedEx, RMX in Africa. Uh, last year, we started offering logistics as a service to a lot of platforms in the region. If you're a seller on uh, WhatsApp, if you're a seller on Instagram, you can use Jumia's uh, fulfillment services. So we're really looking forward to push that piece you know, to, to really build and enable the SME e-commerce in Africa. That's two, right? And the third thing which you're very excited about is, you know, COVID accelerated it, but we, we really want to shift to the grocery categories. So we want to really enable Q-commerce in Africa, the dark stores and all. And that's also something which we're very excited about. So those are the three things, three big ticket projects for me personally also, and also for us as a company, which we're quite excited about, right? In terms of overall market, uh, like I told you, some of the countries are beginning to reach these inflection points, the Nigeria, the Kenya, the Egypt, the Morocco, Tunisia, South Africa. Good payment solutions, great customer adoption, uh, trust in the e-commerce system. It takes six, seven years to build it. I think we've done the hard yards and now we are expecting to really ride the wave. Nice. So it's going to be exciting markets even for uh, next years. As, and as you said, inflection point is just before us. Uh, so next time we're going to be meeting here at the Seamless in Dubai, most likely we have uh, 50 or 500 warehouses in uh, Nigeria and all, and all other parts of Africa. Thank you for your time, Apuf, and big applause, please, for our guest here. Thank you so much, Alex. Thank you, folks.